uh, well, I believe we're in Psalms 51 uh, tonight. Of course, we've been going through the Psalms, and now uh, the last several we've been doing is from the sons of uh, Korah. Uh, this one tonight is uh, from David. And when you see this psalm, uh, you know, uh, John discussed this, uh, different aspects of some of the things we're going to discuss tonight because it has to do with the uh, sin of David and Bathsheba and some things that took place after that. Um, when you think about sin, uh, the guilt of sin weighs heavy, doesn't it? You know, you think about uh, David here, you think the mind of a person, you know, and I believe certain sins do bring uh, uh, a certain amount of weight, some more than others, uh, when it comes to your conscience. Here we're going to see when David was presented with this by Nathan, when uh, he was confronted with this, David, uh, David made a difference. And we're going to see that here with uh, Psalms 51 of, of what he owned up to. Um, Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1 and 2, says, Have mercy upon me, O God, um, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Um, David here in the very beginning, we see that he expresses a, a deep need uh, for forgiveness for his sins. Um, now David here, as, he's, as he does this, I think there's some things that we see with David, I think that shows us why he is a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because of his sin, was it? That, that's not what brought, made him uh, 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 a man after God's own heart. It's, it's what he does. Because think about this. What separates the sinner from the saint? What separates you from that? Yeah, repentance. It, 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 it's that obedience. It's that repentance. It's uh, a, a saint will repent. A, a, a wicked person, a sinner that wants to continue to, to stay in that, will refuse to, will rebel against that and not. David wasn't that individual. Now, he went through a lot to cover up his sin. He, he went through this. Now, he, and as I was reading and thinking more about this confession and repentance of David, I got to thinking about Nathan, too, as Nathan brought this before David, you think if he brought an accusation or brought a fact to another king like that, what do you think would have happened to Nathan? He'd been dead. <laughs> He'd probably lost his head, wouldn't he? But David was, the way he presented it to David, you remember how, what is it, Second Samuel 11 and 12, how David responded to him, yeah, you're right. I am the man. He, he realized when it got put to him, as Nathan put it to him, that of, of all the things that he did, and we see here how he is willing to uh, repent of that. Not only repent, but confess and take ownership of it. But notice how he does it. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Now, he starts off here, notice how he does that. He's counting on God's mercy. He's counting on God's uh, loving kindness, his tender mercies. Couldn't David have went to God and said, Okay, yeah, I sinned, but you've got to remember what, I, what kind of king I am. I, I've really served you well. Remember when Saul was after me, I could have killed him and I didn't because you were his anointed. And I, he, he could have fell back on a lot of things, couldn't he? 
He could have fell back on, hey, you know, I, I did this, but other kings do a lot worse than I did. I just, I, I just did this. He, he could have started making excuses. He could have even blamed uh, Bathsheba for it, couldn't he? You know, he could have said, well, she shouldn't have been out there bathing on the, uh, on the porch or on, on the roof out there. Uh, Uriah should have put up a share curtain before he went off to war, too. You know, he, he could have done, you know, he could have done a lot of things. There's a lot of things he could have made excuses for, but he didn't. And then he didn't go to God just and say, okay, I want you to forgive me, but I want you to forgive me because of how good I am and realize this wasn't that bad of a sin. He's relying and completely trusting that this is in God's hands, that God is the only one to do this. It's his mercy, it's his kindness, it's his compassion that's going to uh, uh, make that difference in David's life. So that's how David is approaching this. And I think that says a lot about Remember, as we've gone through these psalms, we could really, I think we can really get in and see the character of David. You know, we, David wasn't a perfect individual. He didn't always serve God. Matter of fact, in this instance, when he sinned, he, he did a lot of things to cover it up. We think about his, his sin with Bathsheba. To me, the cover-up was a lot worse than that. I mean, it's still sin, but he, he committed murder to cover it up. So he did a lot of things through this process, but one thing that separates David is now look what he's saying. Now look, <coughs> excuse me, you see his heart, you see his character, you see uh, his willingness to, to take ownership for what he's doing. And he's trusting in God to do that. But notice how he goes on here. He says, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, Cleanse me from my sin, his transgression, his iniquity, his sin. He, he's, he's covering all the bases. He said, I, I, I don't want there to be any doubt that this is a sin. What I've done is sin. I've transgressed the law. I've missed the mark. I have iniquity. I want you to blot that out. But he goes farther than that. And I think this even shows, to me, his character even more. It's not just about forgiving his sin. It's about cleansing David himself, isn't it? You know, he, he talks about, notice how he says this here. He says, blot, uh, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. He, he realized the state that he's in. He realizes the separation that he's in. You know, you think about uh, a, a person that was unclean, what did they have to do during that time if you were considered unclean? Outside the city, wouldn't you? So there had to be this process of cleansing. They understood uh, you know, about a person being unclean. I think this is what's on David's mind. Not only have I sinned, look how it's made me. I, I need to be cleansed of this. It's not only about blotting out my transgression, it's about cleansing me. It's, it, it's about purifying me. It's about putting me to where I can have that relationship with his God now. He realized that separation was there and what had to happen uh, for him to be once again in that right relationship with God. There had to be a cleansing on his part. And he's showing here that this sin means something to him. He's not just... He's not just saying, okay, Nathan caught me, Nathan brought it to my attention, so God, I'm coming to you, you can forgive me, I'm, I'm a king, I, you know, I do great things anyway, but yeah, I made this one mistake. David's not thinking about that at all, is he? 
He, he is really realizing this is the state that I'm in. And it goes back to all the psalms that we've read thus far about David. Him talking about God leaning over and picking him up out of a pit. He realized many times it was God and God only that could help him. That can change him from the, his present state to put him in the state that he needed. He never relied on his own strength. He never relied on his own uh, uh, abilities. He always gave God credit for that. And realized if it wasn't for God, he wouldn't be anything. And I think he's doing the same thing here when it comes to his repentance and confession. God, this is, this is you. You're the only one that can do this. You know, he, he didn't do like Adam did. Well, you know, it was that woman, that woman that you made me. You know, it, it, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. It was this. It was this. David's not blaming anybody but himself. And I think that he, as a king, would have been in a position to where he would have thought that, you know, I'm the king, I, I can actually do this. You know, I, I, I can talk my way through this or I can power my way through this because I am king. And I think that's what he tried to do on the physical part of it, to try to cover it up. As king, I can make all these decisions and I can, I can make this go away. But it didn't go away. And he even goes on to say in a few minutes how his, his sin is, is forever before him. He, he can't leave this. He, he can't run away from this. He can't get away from it. it. It's right here. So what do you do with it when sin is right there? Again, what's the difference between a, a sinner and a saint? It, it, it's not that a, a saint never sins. It's the repentance and the confession that makes the difference. So what makes a difference with David is that ability and that willingness to repent and confess it and realizing what it is. He said, I've, I've transgressed. It's my iniquity. It's sin. He said, I'm counting on your tender mercies. I'm counting on your compassion. I'm counting on you, God, to forgive this and to cleanse me from this. David realized this, this has made me dirty. This has made me unclean. This has made me where I need to be purified. That's how deep David felt this. And isn't that really what it should be about? Isn't that what repentance is? Isn't that what that confession is? Is truly being sorry and realizing how awful sin is. And Nathan did a, a great job of bringing it to David's attention that his sin not only affected David, but it affected those that are around him in a very devastating way see we think uh, it's the same thing with our Christianity we, we can have faith but we shouldn't keep it to ourselves because our faith can impact those that are around us well our sin can too our sin can impact those around especially the cover up of it uh, especially getting to the point to where you know you commit murder because of it you know you, you, you lie because of it you do all these things that David did you know What, what made David go from the cover-up to the admission of it? How does a person get from that transition? I mean, Nathan brought it to his attention. Did he just need somebody to bring it to his attention? Or was he still in the moment during the process thought, I can fix this, I can fix this? But he couldn't fix it. You think that's what it was? Uh, 
isn't that what gets us in most of the trouble in anything in our life? I can fix this. You know, I, I can do this. If I just do this, that would make this better. It don't even have to be about sin. It could be about something that we're doing in our Christian life and say, if I can just do it my way, I, I can make this better. I can, God said this, but I can make this better. And it never works out, does it? Ask Abraham if it, how it worked out with him. You know, it's not working out in his mind like God said it was, so they thought they'd take it in their own hands and do it yourself, and you're still seeing the results of that today. So we can't fix it ourselves. It, it has to go to God, and that's what David's doing here. David is laying it all out on the line, and he's giving it to God. He's saying, this is what I've done. This is what has to happen for that to be cleansed. Now, notice he's still recognizing the consequences of it. Now, well, let's just go a little bit farther here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, let's go starting in verse 3. He said, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, let's stop there just for a second. Notice, he says, for I acknowledge my transgression. So he, once again, he's taking ownership. He's saying, I, I know it's my transgression. I'm the one who did this. I, I don't blame anybody else for it. The buck stops here. Now, I don't know what Bathsheba's thoughts were. I don't know if she knew David was looking. I don't, I, the Bible doesn't tell us any of that. I, I don't know. So whatever her part in it, she, she would have been held responsible. David knows his part. His part is, I shouldn't have done it no matter what. So he said, I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Now, does he mean it's always before him before he repents and confesses, or it's always going to be before him? No. Even after that point? Well, the consequences of it will be, and it was in David's household. The consequences of what took place, he can't bring Uriah back. So that's always going to be there. What's taking place in his household now is going to be before him because of these consequences. And I think that's where we, we get a little skewed. But David recognizes this, and I think he recognizes it very well. I can be forgiven and still have to pay the consequences, can I? There, there's consequences for our actions. Some consequences are more than others. Some is more visible than others. Some affects more people than others. But there's still consequences. That doesn't negate the consequences even though I'm forgiven. And I, I, I believe that's what... I used to look at this different. I used to think David is saying, okay, my conscience bothers me so much. It, it, it's just always before me here and I just can't, uh, I, I can't shake it so I've got to acknowledge it go. And I think there's a sense of truth in that. I think David's conscience is weighing on him. But I think it goes farther than that. I think it goes, he realizes the consequences of his actions, and it's always going to be before him. You have to, oh, I thought you were kind of one of them raising your hands. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, but notice here something else he says. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now this can, I'll be honest, this at first, and still does to an extent, confuses me. Because did he not sin against Bathsheba? Did he not sin against Uriah? Did he not sin against Uriah's parents because he killed their son? Did he not sin against... I mean, there's a whole list of people that he sinned, but think of what sin is. What is sin? Transgression of the law, right? 
The reason something's a sin is what? Because God said it was. That's what makes it a sin. You know, that's what makes, so David recognizes, okay, I've did all this, it's still you and you only have I sinned because I've transgressed the law, I have iniquity, I have sin, so it's against God. So that's who he's going to. That, that's who he's pleading with. That's who he's counting on for, for this forgiveness of, of what he's done. I think sometimes individuals don't recognize that part. I think sometimes we... Um, I, say this. I think we can generalize it too much. Um, I've always not been, I understand what people mean uh, when they say, you ever heard someone say, if I've done anything? There, there are sins in which we do that we may not know that we commit. I've seen situations, though, that someone will come forward. They'll, they'll, they'll want forgiveness because there's a situation maybe between them and another person, but they never go to that person. It, it just becomes a generalization. You know what I mean? We, we never recognize, here's where the problem is, but here is what's, here's how they're trying to handle I had an example one time where I was at a congregation, and uh, something happened in that congregation. This, this individual left and, uh, and caused a lot of problems for it actually happened and did a lot of things. Well, they went to another congregation, and someone from that congregation called. I happened to answer. Uh, I was over at church in the church office studying, and they called and said, we're just letting you know these, uh, these individuals place membership here, that they're no longer there, they're going to be here, that, that they uh, asked for forgiveness and they were restored. And I said, okay. I said, but I don't ever remember them coming over and having a conversation with our elders. I don't ever remember them coming over and having a conversation with the individuals that they did something to. Uh, but I guess that made it okay. I don't know. Uh, but I think we can get into that, and that's just maybe an extreme example, but we can get into to where our asking for forgiveness and acknowledging our sin can be just, generalized to where we think, okay, this is just something I have to do, get me out of this situation, and I can move forward after that. There, David recognizes that there's more to it than that. There, there's recognizing... Bill, do you have... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can get into... Uh, and like I say, I know what individuals, I, I, I've seen what I feel like, I don't know a person's heart, but people that can be sincere and saying, you know, I just want to make sure I'm right. There's nothing wrong with making your, I'm not saying that, there's nothing wrong with making your call and election, sure. But I think sometimes we try to take the easiest way out to just get us through a situation sometimes. Well, I think it. I think there's two two things at play there. I think there's one thing that you see here with David, that 
he, I, I tell you, the Psalms has really helped me in, in understanding some things, but especially with David, that closeness that David felt with God. And he felt it when he didn't have it, when he, when he realized he's the one that, that stepped out of that relationship and realized what it needs, he needed to do to get back to it. So there's one thing of, of recognizing that. When it comes to us collectively as a congregation, I think it, a lot of things come back to are we a family or not? If we're truly a family like we're supposed to be, if we're truly uh, uh, close as we need to be, there's a lot of things that could, could happen in the way that God says for them to happen because I'd feel comfortable saying something to somebody. I'd feel comfortable some, somebody saying something to me to help through that. It wouldn't be of, okay, now I'm going to think less of you because of this, or I've, I'm going to hold this over your head, or I'm going to mark this down, I'm not going to forget this, I'm going to remember that, you know. There wouldn't be any of that, you know. It ought to be like, I was talking to somebody just the other day about friendship, you know. You want a friend that has no alternative motive, no underlining agenda, somebody that's just there for you, that's somebody that's just you know, that you can trust, that you, isn't that what we should be to each other? I think it would help with sin. I think it would help with confession. I think it would help with encouragement. I think it would help with any struggles that we have if we have, you know, we could even take it as far as disfellowship. Disfellowship doesn't mean anything because, one, the person don't care whether they're there or not, and sometimes congregation don't even miss them if they're gone. You know, so how, how does that work properly like it should if we're not as close as we should? And you can back that up to every little thing. Um, but David here, one thing that I see is he, he recognizes his sin is against God, and, and it grieves him. He says again, I acknowledge my transgression. He doesn't hide it. He didn't say shortcoming. He didn't say my fault, my little tiny mistake over here. It's sin. It, it's transgression. It's, it's I've missed the mark. I've transgressed the law. I, I've gone against you, God and I recognize that it's before me. He said, I've done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. So there's a lot here, and there's a lot that gets, I think, a little... Uh, a little off skew when it comes to verse 5 here, depending on what translation you use. Um, there, there's a whole doctrine of original sin that can come from verse 5 here that some do. But is that what David is saying? I can't help this because I was born in sin. You know, there wouldn't be anything to be have your conscience bother you if it's that way. It's not my fault, it's Adam's fault. <laughs> you know, I can go all the way back to Adam now. It's, it, it's his fault. It wasn't my fault that I'd done this. I was born this way. Well, that's not what David is saying. Uh, uh, David is acknowledging that, that sin is there. Sin is out there. Sin is, is, is ever before us. It's this choice that we make that he says, I acknowledge. I, he's going through what James says, how sin works. It, it starts from here. And as it builds, as that desire grows, then it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. I think that's the part we miss sometimes. We need to catch it before it becomes full grown. Sin may be there, but it only brings forth death when it gets full grown, doesn't it? So why not stop it before it gets to that point? You know, say, say you have these, these thoughts, then those thoughts become desires, and you still think on there. What, whatever it is in our life, then we give in to those, and it becomes sin, 
then what do we do? We didn't stop it here. We didn't, there's all kinds of places we can stop this. I think that's why Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. You say this, I go, still go back to the heart. If you take care of it, what's in the heart, it won't become the action. You know, recognize that it's there. That, that's what it is. We're not saying that it doesn't get there, but recognize it's there and do something while it's there so it don't become here. That's where a Christian should be, uh, uh, as Peter said, vigilant, sober-minded, realizing that the devil's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So you can recognize those signs. Don't let him creep in like he did with Adam and Eve. Don't let him creep in with Eve where he gets to thinking because every time sin's going to come through those, one of those three areas, isn't it? Lust of flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. It's going to come through one of those. Satan's going to try to get his, his foothold in somewhere he can know he, he can get you. You've got to recognize it and recognize, okay, this is here. Let me take care of it here. But we have to stay on top of it. David, he didn't do that at the beginning, but he stopped it, didn't he? You say, well, he stopped it too late. Well, was it too late? Yeah, Uriah's done dead. Yeah, he's already, uh, uh, he, he, he already did what he did with Bathsheba. There's consequences for that now. Uriah's dead. There's consequences with that. Could it have been much worse if he didn't admit it here? Could it have been much worse for David? Yeah, he, he, see, there's, we've got to realize at some point, and sometimes it's a longer point for some people, You've got to recognize it. But David here does, and he recognizes, and what I believe hurts him the most is, yeah, the, the grievous sin that he committed, but also the result of that is that relationship that now has separated him from God. That should be what bothers us, shouldn't it? Realize that it's once we have that relationship not what it should be, I need to do everything in my power to get back in that right relationship. And it starts with just acknowledging what you've done. starts with just moving forward from that. And that's what we see here um, with David as he realizes that his sin has surrounded him. It's, it, it's all around him. He, he, it, it, to me, it really shows who he is. Um, it, it shows the human side of him as far as Okay, he's susceptible to things just like we are. And to me, being a king, I think there's a whole lot more there with the power that he had. I mean, all he had to do was snap a finger or point over here. Whatever he wanted, he could have. So the temptation was always there. It didn't have to be just Bathsheba. It didn't have to be whatever it was. I think the temptation was always there. But just everything led up to that to where this time he gave in to it. And now he sees the consequence of it. Now, yeah, is there other things he could have done to start with that could have saved Uriah? Yeah, but he didn't. He can't go back and change that. All he can do is what is before him now. And what's before him now is a sin that he committed and his God that he's getting back in that relationship with that he needs to, and this is how he's doing it. But it, it takes an open, honest heart to be able to do that. And sometimes we don't want to be honest with ourselves, much less anybody else or God. And David knows he couldn't hide it from God. I mean, what, what's he going to do? I didn't really do that. It, it, it wasn't me. He can't deny it now. He knows God knows it. So we see what he's doing with it. Any further thoughts or comments thus far?
Right. And, and notice how he does say that. He says that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David realizes, too, the character of God, there's no other thing for David to do to be in that right relationship with him. For God to be the just God, to God for, for God to be the judge that he is, that has to happen to be back in that relationship or God wouldn't be just. You know, He, he, he wouldn't be the righteous judge that he is. That's where I struggle when I hear people say, well, you know, God's going to let me in. You know, God's going to let me in. It's, I, I'm a good person. You know, they always say, God's going to let me in anyway. Well, that's, that's nice to believe. You know, that, that's comforting to believe. But look at the flip side. If God is that unjust that he, he's going to say, okay, enter into the joys of heaven when we hadn't done what he said to do, he could take someone who has sacrificed all their life to serve him and say, no, I'm just going to cast you to the side. If he can do one, he can do the other, can he? See, we don't want to look at the flip side of it. We want to think of God as a loving God. We want to think of God as a merciful God, and God is. We want to think of God as long-suffering, and God is. But God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. You think of all the things that he told the people to go through, especially at Mount Sinai, Anytime they were in the presence of God, there's some things that had to take place to be in the presence of God. You take even Moses. When, when Moses was talking to the bush, he said, uh, take off your sandals because why? You're on holy ground. Was that ground any different than ground four feet away over here? What made that ground different? God did. God's what determined it was holy. So that's what we have to realize. To be in his presence... We have to be holy as he says it's holy, what he says is holy. We repent the way that he says it is. We call sin what he says is sin. So it, for God to be just and righteous, David realized here for you to, to, to speak justice and you to judge rightly, he knew that had to take place. God, God wasn't just going to say, oh, David, that's fine. But as Titus said, God was pursuing him so David would do that. God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all, that all should come to repentance. That, he, he wants that from us. He's going to give us opportunity for that. But we have to take it, don't we? We have to do what he says to do, and we've got to be willing to do that. That's where we have to give up on self, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow after. It's not about my will anymore. I may think, well, this isn't so bad, or I, I don't have to do this, or I think I could do it a better way won't work it's got to be his way but his way is a merciful way his way is a loving way his way is long-suffering because he realizes who we are take Paul for example how many times does Paul talk about his life he says I do the things I don't want to do or I don't do the things I should be doing I buffet my body daily I deal with this every single day he says I have to buffet my body because of what's before me so it's a choice that we make. We have to make, every day we make these decisions 
And then when we give in to these things, what do we do then? Because we're not going to live perfect lives. It's about what we do at those moments. That's where faith really is. It's what we do in the storm. I, I believe that's why Jesus didn't calm the storm for Peter. It's easy to have faith when everything just as smooth as it could be. But what are you going to do when it's in the storm? That's when things get rough. Sometimes we sink. Sometimes we don't have the faith that we should have. That's why he didn't tell Peter, Oh, ye of no faith, oh, ye of little faith. Peter's faith hadn't reached the limit of what his courage was yet. He had had some catching up to do. And sometimes that's the same thing with us. I think my faith is strong enough to endure this, and it's not. And we stumble and fall. Maybe David was just walking on his roof thinking, I'm the king, I'm serving God, everything's good, I'm as strong as I possibly can be. Then bam, he wasn't quite as strong in that moment. And I don't know, maybe there's things, why wouldn't David out to war to begin with? I thought John brought up a good point there Sunday about that. You know, it, I guess it was unusual, you know, why wasn't the king out there? So maybe there's opportunities that was created because of that. But whatever the case is, David had high points, but he also had low points. There's times his faith was strong enough to endure, and there's times his faith wasn't strong enough to endure. And sometimes the time we recognize this is after the fact. But so what do we do after the fact? Some things we can catch before, some things we catch after, but we need to catch it before it's full grown. That's what it really comes down to, doesn't it? Catch it before it's full grown. The problem is, when does it get to there? Do I have enough time to keep it from there? So we always have to be alert. We always have to be vigilant and make sure we realize how, how Satan works. Uh, starting here, verse 7. He says, Purge me with hossips and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. David realized here he needs a renewing. He, he, he needs a cleansing. He needs a clean, clean heart. Because he realizes that's where it came from. That, that he, just as James says, that it starts here. And then when desire grows and becomes something, then that's where it is. David said, I need a clean heart. I, I realize my heart is not what it should be for this to take place like it did. Created me a clean heart. He, he talks about broken bones. He talks about... This is a grievous sin to David. This is something he realizes it just didn't affect him spiritually and mentally. It affected him spirit, uh, physically too. He, he realizes how deep he got himself. Here's another one of them moments where he's in the pit and God is down getting him out of that pit. And he realizes God is the only one that can do that. And I think we have to realize the same. And we have to realize that's that's the process we go through, isn't it? Aren't we renewed? Aren't we restored? Aren't we washed? What do you think happens with baptism? What do you think happens with our whole point of, of uh, obedience to God? We come up a new creature. We're no longer the same creature. Our heart shouldn't be the same. Our heart, see, we think sometimes that, okay, if I can just get in the water and get out, that's going to solve all of my problems. It's that whole cleaning process. It's that whole changing process. If I'm not willing to change, if I'm not willing to repent, if I'm not willing to acknowledge, what does that do? 
That doesn't do anything. All I'm doing is just getting wet, throwing a bar of soap and physically wash yourself and get out because that's what's taking place. But it has to be the whole, the whole thing. It, we have to realize where we're at. We have to realize the sin that we in, we're in. We have to realize the bondage we are. We have to realize I've got to be a new creature. I come up walking newness of life. It's no longer walking the same way. Because it's no longer my will. It's no longer what I want. And I think that's what David is calling for. He's calling for a clean heart. He's calling for wash me. He, he realizes it's him that got him into this. He wants God to cleanse him and renew him and rejuvenate him to be a, a different person. I don't want to be the person that got me in this situation. I want to be the person that draws me closer to God. That's what David is wanting and that's what we have to recognize. Um... We have to recognize what sin does. Isaiah 59 tells us, doesn't it? Sin is what separates us from God. It's not that God can't reach us. not that God can't hear us. It's, it's that, that the sin has drawn that wedge. God didn't move. I did. So I'm out here. I'm unclean. I'm not walking in the light. I, I, there's no longer a sacrifice for me now because I willfully did this. I've got to do something willfully to get back in there. And this is, this is part of that process, part of God cleansing us. And that's what David is, is calling for here. Notice what he says beginning in verse 13. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I'll give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David said, I recognize where I am. I recognize what I did. I recognize what sin has done for me. And when you cleanse me, this is what I'm going to do. This, this is showing how I've changed. This is showing what I'm going to do for you now. I'm not just going to do this and go right back into how I was. He said, I'm going to sing your praises. I'm going to teach your word. I'm going to teach transgressors. I'm going to do all that I can for you. That, that's, that's what a Christian does is, is show the world, this is how God has changed me. This is how my life is different. That's like a teenage boy told me one time, he said, I'm just struggling. I, I thought this Christian life would be different. I thought I could, it would be easier. And I asked the question, I said, well, tell me how your life has changed. He said, well, it's not really changed much. There's the problem. <laughs> it's not changed much. If you've not changed, then why do you expect something to be changed? Why do you expect something to be different? And David says here, this is, this is how it's going to be. This is what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll give you what you need. It, it's not about just offering sacrifices. It, you know, you can do that. Can I offer sacrifice and still be in sin? Yeah, I, I can go through the motions and do it. Can I come and worship and, and, and take the Lord's Supper and sing praises to God and bow my head when it's prayer? I can go through all this and never change anything, can I? I sat on these pews for 40 years and not be any different than I did when the first time I sat down on them. That's scary. I mean, that, that's really scary. Um, what's different? What should be different? Well, our life should be different. It should change who we are because of, of what we're doing and who we're doing it for. He goes on. He goes a little farther past just himself. 
He says, Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. I don't know. It doesn't say. I guess it does in some instances in David's life when it comes to the kingdom. But I think now here he's focusing of him as a king and how his sin has affected not only him personally, but him as a king in the kingdom. You know, he's got an example set. He's got things he has to do, and he's wanting God not only to cleanse him now, but to make sure the kingdom is back as it should be. And I think that as a king, that's exactly what he should do. And I think that's what he should worry about, too. But first and foremost was himself, and now he realizes the position he is and the king that he is, what he, who he's ruling over, that that's part of the equation, too. So David here, I think, once again, not only shows his relationship with God and the kind of person he is, but it also shows the king that he is. Uh, he realizes uh, how that can affect that also. Any final thoughts or comments? Okay.